um, this morning I will be talking about, we're in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5. And so what I need you to do or need you to know is that I'm going through 27 through 30. So uh, we'll talk about lust this morning. So if you have kids and you're not ready to have them hear what I have to say, you should probably take them out, okay? Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word. I ask that you would uh, bring clarity, bring hope, and bring life change out of uh, what you have to say to us this morning. Um, I honestly uh, am at a loss for words. So God, I pray that you would be honored and glorified in all that's said. And that you would uh, bring change. uh, That you would bring hope. And that you bring life uh, out of this this morning. I thank you that that's what your word does. So we open our hearts to you for uh, asking you to do all that you uh, can in us and that we would respond uh, with all that we are to you. God, thank you again for your word. Have your way. Be honored and glorified in the name of Jesus. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. So, we're going through uh, the Sermon on the Mount. So, this is Jesus' longest recorded uh, sermon. And uh, so, it's interesting the process and who were there. So, the disciples were there and, and, a, and a crowd. And so, back in his day, when he got down, went to teach, he would sit down. And uh, everybody else would stand up. And in the midst of all of this, he, he went through these things that we call the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Uh, blessed are those that mourn. And so uh, that's how he starts it out. And so when he starts it out like this, he's saying, this, this, is, this is how you approach God. Blessed are the poor in spirit. What that means is that, is that you can't, but I can. Yeah, G- I can't, but Jesus can. And so in the midst of it, it starts with this, is my desperate need for Jesus and responding to that. And then he goes through all these beatitudes. uh, And then he talks about the law, that he didn't didn't come to abolish the law, but he came to fulfill it. And so then we move from that into, into what we're talking about this morning. Actually, it started with anger, and we talked about that last week and this week. Uh... It starts with this, verse 27. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Right? You've heard it said that you shall not commit adultery. Last week it was, you've heard it said, don't murder. Like, oh, I can do that. I'm good, right? And so now he leads into, You've heard it said that you should not commit adultery. And we're like, oh, I get that. I mean, we don't go into a relationship and go, hey, I'm going to try and figure out a way to commit adultery. We don't do that, right? I mean, do we? No, I don't think we do. 
What's interesting is uh, I don't know if anybody goes into a relationship with le- like that, but we see this, this idea of adultery, and we see it that it's rampant uh, in our culture. Uh, they say that 60... Uh, 65% of men, that's a lot, have committed adultery. And 40% of women have committed adultery. Uh, and so we look at that and we go, okay, well, that's, we understand that. We get that. We get this idea. Okay, don't commit adultery. I'm not going to do it. I don't want to do it. And we get that idea. But see, Jesus has this tendency to take it farther. And so if you're here this morning, you go, well, oh, he's talking about adultery. I'm not married. I'm going to check out. Well, check back in. (laughs) Because what's next applies to us all. Because he goes deeper. He says, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Wow. Right? And so, again, last week I had this little circle and I had somebody stand in it. And then I said, well, Jesus made this circle bigger, right? And so I put the hula hoop around these three guys, right? And so he made it bigger because we have this tendency to go, well, I've never killed anybody, but you have, right? And then Jesus is going, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're pointing the finger at everybody else, but you need to point the finger at yourself. So he takes it deeper. He says, you may have not murdered anybody, but have you ever been angry with someone? That's like murder. Oh, wait a minute. I've been there. And now he does the same thing. Don't, don't commit adultery. Well, I've never committed adultery. <laughs> yeah, great. But they have. And then all of a sudden he goes, wait a minute. Anybody that lusts after a woman in his heart has committed adultery. Now we look at this and we go, well, oh good, I'm a woman and so I don't ever deal with this. But the truth is, is that we all deal with this, isn't it? Isn't it true that each and every person in this room has dealt with lust in one form or another? Right? And so the approach is different, right? I mean, so, so men, they, they see something and then have a tendency to go, oh, uh, you know, I, got, I, got, I see something, then I think about something, then I dwell on it, right? But, but I think that women are in the same boat in this case. It's not just a man thing, and it's not just a woman thing, it's a we thing. And we're being foolish to say that it's just a man thing. Or it's just a a woman thing. And and when we look at this, we see that one out of six women struggle with an addiction to porn. Way more than that are men struggle with an addiction to porn. But it's this idea that that this is, this is something that's rampant. And, and to be honest with you, it's rampant in our culture. And it's not only rampant in our culture, but it's destroying us. Because we look at it, we go, well, it's just that, right? I mean, so I, I had a conversation with friends, and uh, somebody I, I, I know uh, is a part of this uh, a commune, right? So, like, 
I didn't know they still exist, but I have a friend that's part of a commune, and they do life together, and right? And then someone else goes, oh, there's something like that at, the, at Bronson. It's, it's a family thing. Uh, Bronson Family Nudist Camp. And I'm like, ooh. <laughs> I'm like, I would never take my kids there. Right away, family? No, not for me. Uh, and it's this news camp, and, and so it's, it's just like that, right? And I said, and I said that. I responded how I respond. Whoa, no way. Hold, hold your boats. Never go there, right? And so uh, because I have friends that uh, don't have a relationship with Jesus yet, and this conversation came up with them, they're like, oh, isn't it natural? Isn't that okay? And I'm like, Wow, how is that okay? And they just came out at, from a different angle. And we do the same with lust. We go, ah, this isn't a big deal, right? Everybody deals with it. it it's, it's, it's just, ah. You know, it's just, it's not a big deal. It's, it's, it's natural. You know, it's not that big of a deal. Oh, man, battle with it, so why not just enjoy it? Right? We come about it with the same mentality and the same idea. And here Jesus is confronting that. And he's saying, wait a minute. This idea uh, of lust is not okay. This is not okay. And so it's, it's so not okay that I'm going to equate it to adultery. In a relationship, when when. One person commits adultery. That's devastating. Very rarely does a family overcome that. That's not only devastating to the husband and the wife, but it's devastating to the kids. Because all of a sudden you've lost your trust. All of a sudden something's divided. All of a sudden you've introduced something to your kids that they will have to deal with, that they'll have to overcome, that they'll have to fight. And so sometimes we look at this and go, this is just a husband-wife thing. But the truth is, is that I see over and over and again that spouses that commit adultery have kids that do the exact same thing. And so when we look at this, we go, oh, well, it's not that big a deal. It's huge. Did you know the largest consumer of pornography are kids 12 to 17 years old? And so we look at this, and we see this, and we go, oh, it's nothing. It's not a bad, it's not a big deal, but it is. Did you know that when you and I look at pornography, that it actually changes the shape of our brain? It's called neuroplasticity. And it creates these dopamine in our heads, which ties us to all these images which, by the way, uh, I can't get images out of my head from when I was a kid. And so what happens is that as we consume more and more and more, the real thing isn't enough. It consumes us. And so we look at this and we go, oh, well, pornography is just images. But the truth is, pornography is also the things that we read. And the things that we look at, 
and the things that we entertain, the, the imagination that we, that we pour into. Oh, isn't he such a good husband? Look at how he loves so-and-so. Oh, I bet he'd be a nice husband for me. And we make all these justifications. Oh, look at Channing Tatum. <laughs> uh, whatever, right? And we go and we, we, we see these images or we read these stories or we see these relationships and we, we desire what's not ours. And, and the Bible is very clear on what happens in the midst of this. If you have your Bibles, could you turn to James 1, 14 through 15? I'm actually going to read out of the Living Translation because I like the picture that it's painting. It's the same picture, but different words. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. And so when I see this, Hey, David, can I borrow you? Okay. When I see this, when I read this, it says, uh, temptation comes from our own desires which entice us. Some people say that God tempts us, but the Bible over and over again contradicts that. God does not tempt us. He doesn't want us to live in, in slavery to sin. He wants us to have freedom. So we may go through tests, we may go through trial, but God wants us to live in freedom, right? And so, uh, so it, it, I'm going to read this scripture again, which entice us and drag us away. So, go ahead and sit down, David. Can I borrow your phone? Katie, thank you. Oh, you threw it. Okay, so when we look at this scripture, it says it entices us. So entice, the word entice is like a, a fishing lure, Right? He just wants it, right? And he sees it. It's just like a lure. It's, it's not a problem. It's just, it's just the lure, right? And just going after it. You see what I'm saying, right? And then finally, the fish takes the bait, grabs hold of it. There you go. Grabs hold of it, right? And so look at this picture. It entices us. I'm going to read it again. It entices us and drags us away. So it entices, and get down, go ahead, lay down. I'm going to drag you across the stage. And it drags us away, right? So this is the pattern. Did you have any uh, slivers? No. Okay, good. Good job. Okay. And it drags us away. And then what does it do? It drags us away, and then these desires give birth to sinful action. You stay there, David. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So when we look at this, and we see this idea, this mentality, we, we have to know that it entices us, and then it drags us away. Huh? It kicks you while you're down. Isn't that your brother-in-law? Okay. He's not wearing green. Oh. <laughs> Uh, uh, entices and drags us away. And see, this is what it does. It's like, oh, this is not a big deal. Okay, well, then I, I see it. I want it. I begin to consume it. And we think that that's just, oh, it's just that moment. But it says it does more. 
It drags us away. And then that, that leads to what? That leads, gives birth to sinful actions. So right, it comes from, from, oh, that's nice, to consuming it, to acting upon it, to continue to consume it. Which when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. It destroys us. It consumes us. It kills us. Do you see the pattern in this? If if you and I just took a moment to just take a step back, and if we were honest to God, if we were truly honest, do you see this pattern? Do you see how something would catch your eye? And that, oh, wait, what was that? And we try and consume more? That it gets into our thoughts? And then we, we think through that with our imagination and we pursue that over and over again? And then that, that turns us, if we're a believer, it should bring some conflict in our hearts. And the conflict is this, is that, that I want Jesus, but I keep doing this. And if we justify, it ends up killing us. And what happens is we pursue it instead of God. And it happens every time. I, I have this picture at home. It, it says that it says that my thoughts determine my actions. My actions determine my habits, and my habits determine my destiny. Do you see the same process in this? So, so in the midst of this, we go, okay, well, I, I get, get it, uh, but what do I do with it? What do I say? How do I move on from here? David, you can go ahead and sit down. I forgot he was laying on the stage. <laughs> Give him a hand. Oh, don't sit on your baby. Uh, seat's taken. So what do we do? How do we move on? How do we overcome? Now, let's, let's look at what Jesus says. So, so he, he all of a sudden begins this major assault that it's not about them, but it's, I'm in, involved as well, right? And so they're going, oh, that's me too. But what happens? You've heard it that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman lust with lustful intent, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Verse 29. Look how strong this language is. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out. And throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that, than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. 
For it is better that you lose one of your members than, the, than your whole body go to hell. Do you think that that's some pretty strong wording? So how do we deal with this, the lustful thoughts? How do we, how do we overcome, overcome it? How do we, how do we, uh, how do we honor God? I mean, because we're, seems like we're assaulted wherever we go, right? I mean, everybody that has a phone, raise your hand. A cell phone. Everybody that has a computer, raise your hand. Everybody that has a TV, raise your hand. Everybody that uh, has seen a newspaper or a magazine, raise your hand. Wow, that's pretty much everybody, isn't it? And so it seems like uh, we're assaulted more and more, and we kind of blow it off like it's not a big deal. And here we see that Jesus is saying, lust, we need to deal with it violently. Why would he say that? Why would he talk about plucking our eyes out, cutting our hands off? Does he want us to walk around maimed? No, he doesn't. But he wants us to grab hold of the picture that he's trying to paint and the severity of it. Do you see that? This is a big deal. And if we don't deal with it, it kills us and robs us. In fact, in fact, um, I've read uh, articles on, uh, what is it called? New American Journal of Medicine. Something like that. It's a journal of medicine that talks about how teenagers are being prescribed ED medication because of what they've seen so repeatedly that they have issues with that already. First time in history it's even been noted. So when Jesus says that we're to take this seriously, he means it. When he says that we're not to blow it off like it's just second hat, he means it. So here's, here's what's interesting to me, is that when we look at this idea or this mentality, uh, we, we have to do something about it. Because when it, once the hook, once we see the hook, it catches our eye, it gets in our thoughts, uh, if we're believers, we become conflicted. Uh, and then it, it begins to consume us and drive more and more of our attention. And so what happens is that we strive for all these ancillary things because what is in front of us is not good enough. Because it, it's just not the same. So what do we do about it? My, um, I had this tendency as a kid... Uh, to get all kinds of injuries. My mom's a nurse, and so I get tons of injuries. I, I've had major concussions where I've been Im admitted into the ER where my mom was working, and uh, I was at my girlfriend's house. We were swimming. I jump into the pool. I hit my head on the bottom of the pool, and my girlfriend at the time, her daddy's a doctor. He's like, maybe you should go to the, 
the hospital, I'm like, oh, no, I'm fine, right? And then I'm starting to feel super sick and vomiting, all kinds of stuff, right? And so my girlfriend takes me to my to the hospital, I was gonna say my mom's house, to the ER, and I'm laying on this stretcher and I got this thing on my neck. My mom looks down at me and then she looks at this girl that brought me into the ER, because I had a major concussion. I had to wear a neck brace for a long time in the summer of Yakima, which is super hot, dude. Nobody wants to hang out with you after a week of that. Uh, but uh, my mom looks at me and she looks at this girl, she goes, what did you do to my baby? And I'm like, mom! <laughs> But my mom, so in all these accidents, I remember one time I was riding a bike. Uh, I had a, uh, a BMX bike with yellow star mag wheels, right? They were shaped like stars. It was, and they're yellow, super awesome, right? And this is the time where everybody put all these rad movies. Anyway, so I was riding my bike, and uh, I crashed into the gravel, and it crashed my knees into the gravel, right? And so I had this super wicked uh, scrape all over my knee, and embedded were all these little pieces of gravel, right? And so um, I don't know if you're related to a nurse, but nurses are very merciful to their patients, right? But to their kids, no way! <laughs> so my mom goes, oh, look at that, oh. Shawnee, we got to clean it out. We're not, I'm not taking you to the doctor. I, I can't afford this kind of stuff, right? So she goes in, and she gets a toothbrush. Yeah. She gets hydrogen peroxide, right? And uh, I think part of it, she's trying to teach me a lesson to be more careful. I don't know. Uh, I'm sure there's something in there. But she started cleaning that thing out, right? She's like, Mom! And I'm crying, what are you doing? She goes, I don't, boy, I don't want it to get infected. I got to clean this puppy out. And she's cleaning it out. And I'm crying. I still, I'm getting teary-eyed. It hurt. <laughs> and she's cleaning this puppy out. And she's getting it, getting it taken care of, right? And, uh, and then... And then she puts a bandage over the top of it, right? And, uh, and you know when you have a fresh wound and you go to walk and your jeans push against it and it hurts? Or even the bandage does, right? And so you have this tendency to, to kind of walk a little more careful, right? And you're protecting it. Anybody comes near it, you're like, get, get back, get back. I've got a scrape on my knee. My mom cleaned it out. But, but in the same way, so when we approach a relationship with God, and, and we have this relationship, and we have things from our past, wounds that have harmed us, where, where to treat the wound? And so, so when we look at it from, from a lust perspective. What did Jesus say? If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it is better that you lose your whole members than that your, excuse me, it's better for you to lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. 
And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that of your whole body and go into hell. So what do I mean? When we read this and we see this, we see this picture of dealing violently. So here's, here's like the question. When you lust and then you put it into action and it begins to grow in you, what is it that you're doing? Where is it that you're at? I'm sorry? You're polluting your mind. Yes. But here's, here's the other question. Is that, is that I have certain things in my life that are protections for my heart. Bible says that I'm to, above all else, guard my heart. So, so here's what I, I want you to consider or take a moment. Is back up, and when you make those decisions, where are you at? What are you doing? Are you alone? Are you on a computer? Are you on your phone? Where, what are you doing? What causes you to do that? What, what's the wound that's harmed you from your past that causes you to make a decision to say, it's okay. I, I desperately need this. Because that's usually how it comes up, isn't it? If you're battling something and something pokes you somewhere, you're like, oh, I'm just going to go to this. For some of us, it's an imagination. For some of us, it's an image. For some of us, it's a place. But for all of us, it's a decision. And so... My mom cleaned out all those rocks and stuff in my knee. And the truth is, is what Jesus is dealing with here is he's saying a deal with adultery before it ever becomes adultery. Deal with it at its root, lust. And work on that. And so just like that knee, after my mom cleaned it out and put the bandage on it, I would walk around very carefully and I would protect it. And I would make sure everybody knew what was going on. We need to do the same in our life. And this is what I mean by that. That when we open our heart to Jesus... And we say, Jesus, I'm so, so sorry. Please forgive me. We let him deal with the wound. And then we make decisions to protect it. So that it doesn't get exposed again. Are you following me? So this is, these are some things that I do. Everybody and their mother knows all my passwords. Everybody. 
Ask Ryan. He knows all my passwords. Uh, Ask Joe. He knows all my passwords. Everybody knows my passwords. My computer, everybody uses it. My kids use it. I use it. It's always open. My phone, everybody knows what's on my phone. Everybody knows my emails. I don't keep things private, especially in my home. When we go to watch a show, and if it has nudity in it, we shut it off. We just do it. When I'm driving down Highway 2 in Monroe, and there's the Bikini Barista, I turn my head the other direction. Because this is what I know about me. I can recall thoughts or images that I saw when I was a little boy. And I need to overcome them. So when we look at this idea of, of treating the wound, it means that we expose it, that we clean it out. So how do we expose it? Jesus, you know, you know this. You know how this hurt me when I was this age. You know how I keep going back to it. You know when I go back to it. I'm so sorry. I need your help. Please, please forgive me. I expose the wound. I let him treat the wound. That means that, that uh, if there's an area or something in my life that I keep going to, I, I ask Jesus to overcome it, and then I make decisions not to go there anymore. So if it happens late at night, I go to bed earlier. <laughs> if it happens when I'm alone, then I try not to be alone. If it happens... Uh, when my heart is sick and I miss something or I long for something, then I exchange those thoughts. I exchange those thoughts for what Jesus would say. You see, in all of this, God is, is greater. And he wants the desires to be met in him. In fact, there's a verse, uh, Proverbs, or excuse me, uh, let's go to, oops, Psalm 107, verse 9. I just pulled it out. So now look look. Look at this picture, Psalm 107, verse 9. This is talking about the Lord, because if you look at verse 8, it says, Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he 
satisfies the longing soul. And the hungry soul he fills with good things. See, we're meant to be consumed by God, not by created things. And that created things are also our imagination. So, so if the first per thing was to treat the wound, the second is this, is to pursue a growing relationship with Jesus. So how do I overcome this? I treat the wound, I expose it, right? I have Jesus clean it, I expose it, and I protect it. Second thing is this. And back, I want to back up a little bit because I keep skipping in my notes. One more thing I want to say is... Uh, that I, when I'm protecting it, I need to be smart and be honest because the truth is, is that when I'm smart and I'm honest about that, uh, I'm stronger because I've been honest about it. I'm stronger because I've made decisions to not place my life in those positions again. Does that make sense? Second thing is this, uh, pursue a growing relationship with Jesus. Uh, Galatians 5, 16 through 17 says this, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For, those who, for these are opposed to each other to keep from doing the things you want to do. So when I, when I read this in the picture that I see, including what we read in Psalm 107, 9, is this idea or this mentality. Come here, Marty. Is that, is that I pursue a relationship with God by walking with him, right? And being led, it says being led by the Spirit. So... God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they're all God. And the Holy Spirit is the one that convicts me, and he leads me, and he directs me. He's also called in Scripture the, the Comforter. And not only that, but he also empowers me to live this life. So when the Bible says to walk by the Spirit, Marty, you're going to lead me. And so what I do is I follow God's leading in everyday life as if Marty is the Holy Spirit. <laughs> uh, and I just follow everyday leading. So, uh, stop. Uh, so, oh yeah, you're leading. Would you want to stop? Yeah. Okay, good. So in a relationship with Jesus, what that means is that when it comes to this, and I'm pursuing this relationship, this is what I want. I want God to lead me because he's my leader, right? And we look through the book of Matthew, and it talks about it being a kingdom of heaven over and over again. And so what that means is that God is my king. And so I exist to serve the king. And so wherever he leads me, I go. And so in this, as I pursue a growing relationship, and in this, when it comes to lust, is that 
when or if I am going a different direction, go opposite direction, okay, that I yield to the Holy Spirit and I follow his leading and his direction, right? And, and so, so how, how would I describe, I'll describe it how I experience it. It's a, it's two things. Like I get, the conviction is, I, I feel like this is a no thing. I feel it in my, my chest and I, I get it in my head. And so at that moment, I have to make this decision whether I'm going to listen to him, the Holy Spirit, as he convicts me, or I'm going to do my own thing. And here's, here's the trigger on this. Is part of this is a belief system, right? Because if I believe that the Holy Spirit, if God has what's best for me, then I'm going to follow his leading. If I believe that I have what's best for me, then I'm going to follow my leading. Or if, if I'm facing an addiction, then instead of running to God, I'm going to have this tendency to run to whatever it is over here. And we treat addictions. We treat addictions by treating the wound. And as we see in scripture that, it, that we're, we're violently against it. We're violently against lust, right? So I'm aggressively pursuing what God would have for me, right? And so what that means is that I get help. How do I know it's an addiction? Is that I continue to go back to it instead of going to God. And I long for it, and then I get to this point of where I try and feed it. I say it's not a big deal, and I keep going, it's still not a big deal. It's, it's, it's just what I do. It's, then, I, then it becomes who I am. See, God never designed us to base our sexuality or our identity off of our sexuality, ever. And that's, that's where the point is, is that, is that when I uh, let it entice me and drag me away, and then I let it give birth to sin, it leads to death. And death means that that owns me, and Jesus does not. Are you following me in this? So how do I overcome this? I ex- treat the wound... And I grow in a relationship with Jesus, and I continue to pursue it. And sometimes, in the pursuit of this relationship, I'll come, I'll come over here. And then I have a choice. When I've made this decision, here's my next choice. Do I turn to Jesus and beg for his forgiveness and tell him I'm sorry? Am I honest with him? Am I honest with myself? Am I honest to God? Or do I say, well, I'm just a man. 
and I justify it, or I'm just a woman who doesn't have a man, or doesn't have the right man, or doesn't have this, right? And we justify things, but God calls us back to him. And so this is how a believer responds. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Please help me. Please make me new. Please help me. And so I respond in this way. And then I make decisions to protect the wound, to treat the wound, to expose it so that I could walk in life and freedom. You following me? Go have a seat, Marty. Thank you. Psalm 119.9 says, How can a man, how can a young person stay on the path of purity by living according to your word? So in the midst of all this, I can, I can overcome, God can overcome. In the midst of this, God has something better for us. And here's what I know. God can heal us. He can overcome it. The more that I'm honest with God, the more that I'm repentant or sorrowful to God for what I've done, the more he overcomes. And what I find is that the less I still deal with it, but the less, the more that I have of God, the more that I feel, fill him in me, you know, like getting more and more of God, the more that I pursue him, the less these other things have a hold on me. So when we get more of Jesus, it pushes those other things out. Are you following me in this? So there's this Psalm 139, 20. Wow, I'm in Psalms a lot today. 139, 23 through 24. I want to end with this. It's a living translation version. It says this. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. So this morning, this is what I want to close with. Where are you at with God? Where are you at with this area in your life? Is there something that you need God to forgive you for and you need to tell him you're sorry for? Is there something in your life that you continue to pursue that needs to be protected? Wound needs to be treated, needs to be exposed, and then you need to make decisions to protect it. Follow me on this. Would you take a moment to just bow your head? I'm going to read this scripture. May this be our prayer. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. 
Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Would you just take a moment to say that in your own words to God? Now, is there something that you need to ask God for forgiveness for? If there is, would you just take this moment between you and God, would you just be honest to him? Lord Jesus, we ask, or I ask, that you would um, help us to live a life that represents you. Help us to walk in a relationship with you that uh, overcomes. And Lord Jesus, for those of us that are here this morning that um, are struggling with lust, Lord, I ask that you would give us courage to overcome it to give us courage to expose it to you, to give us courage to trust you that you'll treat it and that we'll make the right steps to protect the wound. Have your way in us and through us. Lord Jesus, again, I beg that you bring healing and hope in our life. Please, Lord Jesus, have your way. In your holy name we pray. And everybody said, amen. You may, be, you may stand. You're dismissed at a crying of a baby. <laughs>